0: All right, so we're going to conclude our series in Love Walked Among Us this morning, and so this has been a good series for us. Um, We got a treat uh, for us next week, and I'll tell you about it in just a second. One, turn to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be at this morning, the gospel of John chapter 10. And if you don't own a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high, and one of our ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's word. Um, If you're not familiar with the Bible... Um, There's a few Johns in the Bible. So if you go to the table of contents, make sure you go to the first John. That's going to be the gospel of John. Again, chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. So like I said, we're going to conclude this series. Next week we have a treat. Um, Many of you can recall about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, there were a few pastors here from America that were invited to have this dialogue with the Pope in Rome, of which me and Josh were a part of. And every time I say that, I feel pretentious. But here's the deal. We kick it. And so... uh, um, so one of the main figures that was leading that is, the, is, a, is a man by the name of Giovanni who oversees uh, many, uh, you know, pro- Protestant churches in Italy. He's in town doing some work, and we were privileged enough to be able to ask him to come and share with us, and I don't know very many uh, more godly, honest, praying human beings. And so instead of trying to give him a text to teach, we told him to come and talk about Jesus and prayer and the Holy Spirit, everything that we desperately, desperately need. So make sure that you're, you're here uh, next week for that. And that's only going to be in the morning services. You know, what about the evening? Uh, he couldn't make it. So well, we'll do something different for them. We'll have like the next best person, promise you, right? So Love walked among us. So we started this series several weeks ago and the goal for this series was to be able to communicate and see love on display through the person and the life of Jesus Christ. And what we said we wanted this series to be less about our intellect and more about our affections and looking and desiring a life with Jesus. And what we said is in our culture there's a lot of talk about spirituality and we said we wanted a spirituality primarily that was rooted in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That we wanted to find ourselves hidden in him as we saw his love. And when we think about Jesus' love, we don't want to just mimic it in our own strength. But looking to Jesus, that we would see the gap that is there between us and him and the need for the Holy Spirit to be able to provide for us that we can walk and step to the fullness and in the fullness of who God is in Christ. And so we've seen his love in ways where he finds himself restoring life to a woman who was a widow who lost her son. Or a man who was born blind who received his sight physically as well as spiritually. Or the way that he shows his love for a woman who was known as a quote-unquote the woman of the city who had a sordid past and how God himself began to bring her back to himself and restore her to the community. That we see his love and now we get in this last message and it's ultimately showing us that with love there's a cost. And if you're going to love somebody, there's going to be a cost in which you give to show that love. And that's, that is the heartbeat, that is the lane of which we're going at. And this familiar text, if you've been around church for some time, and that is Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd. But more than just the good shepherd, he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people. And so would you pray with me Let's ask God to bless our time this morning. Father, we thank you for the great grace in which you've given us in Jesus Christ. So from the time in which we gather... Earlier, this, this, in the beginning of this service, at the time in which of benediction, Jesus, would you guide and lead us by your spirit. I pray that your word would hit us, that you'd bring a conviction, Lord, in our lives to see you as the one who has given his life for us, that we may have life, in your words, Lord, abundant life, that we'd be able to step into all that you have for us. Father, we thank you, and we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. So love, there's a cost to love. And we get this in even just regular ways, all right? So if you grew up in a family or you live in a family where you don't have a whole lot of food, there's moments in which the kids eat and you'll see the mother or the father not eating at a cost in order of her or his love for their children. Or you see this, um, there's many of you that are pregnant um, because you've told me, not because I'm just going around telling people, asking if they're pregnant. I never do that. Um, Here's, here's what happens. A woman who's pregnant chooses now to give birth, to give life, and in doing so, there's a cost. There's a physical cost to her body to be able to give life because she loves that child. Or you think about parents who want to adopt or parents who do adopt. There's a cost. There's, there's an emotional cost. There's a financial cost. There's a, there's a mental cost. There's a spiritual cost. There's all sorts of costs that they're willing to go through because they want to adopt children into their family because of love. Right, this even happens in a friendship. You have friends. You know a friendship. There's gonna be a cost. There's there's always somebody who wants to borrow money as a friend who never pays you back. Right, and you know it. Like yeah, it's all love. Right. There's there's if you're in college and you're that college student that has a car. Right. You know they're trying to love you. Right. You're always nobody's like hey do you need gas because I've been driving your car the whole week. Right. It's like. No, because there's a cost. And then there's tension that you have with friends, and there's need, the cost of forgiveness. And forgiveness is always costly because you're telling the other person that you're willing to absorb the pain and to let them go and not treat them as their sins deserve. There's a cost. Even if you take it out of the relational sense, I mean, this happens even in a business, what you'll see is oftentimes there will be uh, the story of the employer who has an employee who made a huge mistake that has financially cost the organization. And they have now an opportunity to be able to let this person go, but oftentimes what you will see in love for the person and the organization that the employer will absorb the cost in order to train, teach, and love this particular person. No matter what, there's just a cost. Because that's what love is, and that's what love does, as we see in the scriptures. The hard part about that for our culture is it's not the norm. And what I mean by this is we don't operate in covenant love like the Bible teaches. We operate in transactional love. You say, Ricardo, what's the difference? I'm glad you asked, because I prepared to tell you. So what you have is the thing about a transaction, a transaction works this way, if I get a cell phone and I have a company that I'm with, um, I have a terms of agreements that I sign, they hold up to their deal, I hold up to my deal. Now if there's a better deal down the road with another provider, I could easily break that contract or let that contract in and then I can find something else. And sadly, we take this same sense in even our relationships and love, that love now becomes temporary and it becomes transactional, like if you do this for me then I'll do this for you. Like, like how can we exchange? However, when when we look at love in the Bible, primarily looking at the covenantal love of God and what he shows us how to love, it is not so much about what we can get from relationships, it's actually what we can give to the relationship. That the way that we receive is actually by giving. It's the upside-down way of the kingdom of God. And you go, okay, what does this covenantal love look like? The best display of this is in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, what we see is that God has made a covenant with Abraham. Or he's made a promise to Abraham. He told Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham hadn't had a child. You're going to have a son through your wife. They haven't had a son yet. And Abraham comes to God. He's like, listen, God, I know you said that you were going to give me a son. It's cool if you don't. Um, I'm getting old. Um, my wife's getting old, but don't tell her that I said that because she, right? And, and, and God says, listen, I'm about to do something. And he makes a covenant with and the way that they would do it back in ancient times, not just people who believed in God, but in ancient times, is they would have something called the cutting of the covenant. And what they would do is they would take animals, and they would rip the animals apart. Not with their hands, because they weren't that strong. But they would rip the animals apart. And what would happen is the two parties would then link up and, like, hold arms or hands, and they would walk between those animals and blood. And it was a signify that whoever didn't keep up to their end of the covenant that may, what happened to those animals, may that happen to them. And you begin to read in, further along in Genesis 15 in that same story, and what happens is Abraham takes the animals and he spreads them apart, and then God causes Abraham to fall asleep. And then it says a, a, a pillar of fire goes through those animals. And it was the presence of God. And what God was saying was, I'm making it so and setting up in such a way that with my promise and his covenant towards the people of God is that it would not be up to us to fulfill because he knew that we would not. It would be up to him. And so in essence, what God is saying is, I will die in order for me to fulfill my covenant to love. And what we have in Jesus is God here to fulfill that. And everything else in which the Old Testament pointed to. That this unconditional love that God who desires to be with you and me, By name, that he goes outside of his way to give himself for us. We see in the Old Testament, one of the images we see of God that it displays is him being a shepherd. Which doesn't always make sense to us because many of us have never had sheep or been around sheep. I know some of you guys got goats, you got urban goats and everything else. So there's, there's that. And so... We don't don't get it, but God is constantly saying he's like the shepherd. And then he says this to those leaders who were not shepherds. You read in in Ezekiel chapter 34 that there's going to be punishment for them because they did not lead well. But then he says there's going to be a day in which God himself, the shepherd, will come and he will gather his flock. He repeats it again in Isaiah chapter 40, particularly in verse 11. And then we see David as he's writing about God. That King David, who himself was a shepherd, says, no, 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 you're my shepherd. That that famous psalm in chapter 23, and we see all of this come to its crescendo in one of Jesus' last public teachings here in the gospel of John when he says that he is the good shepherd. Verse 7 is where we pick up. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So so here's what's happening here. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And we got to understand, so in that day, the way that this, like him speaking about him being the good shepherd is, uh, you would have this area that there'd be it'd be walled off by a wall by waist high of of stones and on the top of it they would have thorns to keep the predators out away from the sheep and there would be one entrance where you can go in and where you can go out and that would be the particular door and all the sheep would be in there now it would be actually more th- so oftentimes it'd be more than one flock so like one shepherd's flock would be like, hey, this is my storage unit of, of sheep, and then this is your storage unit of sheep. And, and there'd be a person at the very front who would only let true shepherds come in. Now oftentimes there'd be people who try to get over the wall to steal the sheep and so forth. Those are the robbers, those are the thieves, and so forth. And so that, that's what you have this picture of when Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he says this, um, those that came before me, they are robbers and they are thieves. Now here's what he's talking about. He's not here talking about Satan. He's talking about the false teachers and the false leaders that came before him. He's talking about those leaders who said that they were the Messiah that were not the Messiah. Those leaders, like the Pharisees, who were leading God's people astray and not ultimately to Christ. And he says, they came before me, but you know what? Don't listen to them. I am the good shepherd. And he says this. He goes, I came that they may have life, and he says that they may have it abundantly. Now, before we can talk about this abundant life that Jesus comes to give us as the good shepherd, we have to think about what are our thieves and our robbers. Because it could be false teachers, unfortunately. It could be um, false leaders that are leading people away. But more importantly, maybe the better question for us to ask is, what is actually robbing you of, of vitality, of life, and spirituality in Jesus? Like, what are the things that are robbing you? Because those things are not always so obvious. So where I live, the neighborhood I live in, we live really close to, to the Arizona State University. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't have the same ring. Uh, and, and one of the biggest things about, about ASU is people like to steal bikes. Um, and I have noticed how to look for those who are bike thieves. One, because my neighbor who's lived in the neighborhood for like 34 years, he put me up on game. And so... Basically, what you're looking for is early in the morning, there will be men riding bikes through the neighborhood. And you go, Ricardo, it's 10B, everybody rides bikes. No, no, no. Grown men don't usually ride on little BMX mongooses, all right? <laughs> and they usually ride at 6.30 in the morning, grown, like 45 years old, like knees hitting them all in the face, you know, on the little bike and stuff with pegs in the front, pegs in the back. Like, somebody, whose bike is that, right? And so, and they're looking driving past to see whose bikes are not locked up in the house so they can steal the bikes. You go, Ricardo, how do you know? Because my wife's bike got stolen. You go. How'd you get it back? Because my neighbor Tom had a video camera. He knew exactly which person it was. He caught it and he brought it back. Hey, yeah. <laughs> eh? right? You are to love your neighbor, especially when he gets your bike back. So, so you, like, like, they're robbers. Okay, that's obvious now to me. Like, it's obvious when you see it. And I'm that old dude now, I'm not even old, but I'm like, hey, what, what, what you doing in this neighborhood? It's not a through street. Like, I'm not that dude, like, get off my grass, right? <laughs> when it comes to our robbers that we're thinking about here that, that, that really suck the life out of us, it, it's not that obvious. It's usually a good thing that we make the main thing. It's usually something that actually looks like it is, like, legitimately good. And usually sometimes it's a legitimately good thing that we've actually made the main thing that instead of having Christ at the center. I liken it to this way, if you've ever, if you're one of those people that looks at a free subscription, it's like, hey, for six months you get this free subscription, now we do need your credit card information, (laughs) right? If you're one of those people like me and it's like, what else do you need, social security number, I'll give you, here he is, it's free for six months, you sure, free, yeah, but we need your credit card, all right, cool, and next thing you know, you begin to notice on your credit card statement, or your wife begins to notice, hypothetically, that they're There are these 1099 every other week payments. And it's like, when do we sign up for that? It used to be free. I don't know what happened. Right? And so you don't even notice, but it's it's being taken out. That's the way the robbers are. Like whatever those things are, some of us, it's because we look too much at something that is a gift that we put in the place of God. And so whether it's relationships... That many of us find ourselves just like the culture around us in a state of loneliness, that we just feel alone even though we're surrounded by people. And so we put this over-desire over, de- over, desire, over um, too much weight on pursuing relationships whenever they may be. Some of us, we find ourselves being robbed because of the way we work, that somehow we, fe- we feel like our identity and our value and our worth, it comes from like, not just that we make money, but what we actually do. That, that fi- some of ourselves, we're, we're the people that are looking at our account and our banking account daily and daily because that's where we find life. Are we going to make it or are we not going to make it dependent upon this? Some of us, it's substance abuse. Some of us, it's, it's you, you know what it is. You know what it is. Like those things that actually are robbing you from this, this vital life that is only found in Jesus. L- l- let's read this again because this is a promise and a statement of Jesus. Verse 8 All who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them I am the door meaning the only way to what he's about to give us is through him If anyone enters through me he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture The thief comes to steal to kill and destroy Jesus says I came that they may have life and have it abundantly That when it comes to the life and love of God there's no scarcity He's not saying there's only a little bit and there's only a little bit. Whatever you get from me, hold on to it because it may never come back. He's saying whatever you have of me, you have all of him. That the life in which we have in Christ is an abundant life. Now, is that material blessings? At some moments it is, but more than just material blessings, it's Jesus. Like it. This is killing me, right? That somehow as Christians, it is not that cool to say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, right? Those, like, if you are a Christian, you are going to be very delighted in following Jesus. Here's what I mean. You begin to look like, you begin to sometimes dress like, you begin to sound like the people who you hang out with. And if Jesus truly is, as the Bible reveals, Lord and Savior, one who at infinite cost to himself, gave himself for us, if we in this room are followers of Christ, then we want to make much of him. He's not someone to hide from, and he's definitely not somebody to hide from our friends. Like, Jesus Christ is not the, 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 the boyfriend or girlfriend that we really like, but we don't know if our friends like, so we don't tell anybody about him, right? He's that good. He's that good. He's the one who's so good that you can't help but yelp review him to everybody. There's not enough stars, right? Somebody, somebody. Y'all ain't ready for that. He continues here. Jesus begins to talk about this abundant life. He says again, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So he goes from talking about thieves to just hired hands. And he's making a point here of going, no matter who comes into the pasture, there's only one that will give you life. Like, one is there for your harm, and that's the thief. The other one is, is there for their own good. It, it's sad to say this, but there are people who are in your life that are there for their own good. Now, I'm not saying you need to start questioning all your friends. Hey, what are you, you here for me or are you here for yourself, right? No, no, I'm just, he's just making the point that there are some people who are in your life that are there to provide and do things only for their good. Now, here's the way I liken it to. My, my buddy, he owns some sandwich shops in California, and he was out to visit, and um, he has like five or six sandwich shops. His sandwich shops, well, they eat fresh there, or at least that's what they say, right? And so he has, what, guys, what, stop. So we have, so he's in town, and he's, when he was in town, he said, hey, check this out. He goes, I can watch all my stores, and he shows me all, like, the cameras of all these different stores around uh, Southern California. I said, you don't think that's weird that you're looking at people on your phone? Do they know that? Right? And he goes, yes, they know that. He goes, to be honest with you, the reason why I have it is I let my employees know that there is a camera on them. Because when they know that there's a camera on them, then they won't rob from me. And I said, like, rob money? He goes, most of them don't rob money. What they do is they, they, they just don't charge people the price they should charge, and so therefore I lose money. He goes, they're not owners, and so they don't really care. I said, do you really think they're going to rob from you? And he said, remember when we used to, we used to work at Baskin Robbins? And I said, yeah, they are robbing you blind. <laughs> like, Getting, they are, all of their friends are getting hooked up right now. <laughs> so, and, and, it's, and, it's, and, he, and he had a point goes nothing, nothing against them. It's just going, they're not owners of it. Jesus is saying when it comes to his people, he's an owner. Like he loves. And he loves to the point where the cost for him, there's no expense that's too high. Because he's willing to give his life. Not just to risk it, but he lays down his life. That when the wolves come, whatever it may be in our lives, whatever that thing may be that is attacking us, from the outside and from the inside, whether it's sin, Satan, or death, that he says, I will actually give my life to remove the power of those things. That what is happening here, what Jesus is talking about, is that there is an ultimate substitution that is happening. And that is, what is happening is we, because of our own sin, are like marching towards death. And that Jesus comes in and willfully, because of his love, lays down his life, absorbs the wrath of God that was meant towards us and our sin in order that we may receive the life and love of the Father. This, not because of what we've done, but ultimately what Christ has done on our behalf. So, so listen, oftentimes when we... be When we begin as pastors talking about sheep and shepherd, usually there's this whole thing about how sheep are really dumb, they're not smart, and so forth, and then somehow it gets turned around that the pastor's the shepherd and the people are the sheep. That's kind of like not what I'm going to do today, right? What you have here, this is not so much about the sheep, it's about the shepherd. Let me just tell you this, it's usually not about the sheep, it's always about the shepherd. It's always about what he's doing. What Christ is doing, Christ is not saying, this is a gray area, there might be some other shepherds. He goes, no, this is black and white. Everybody else is not the shepherd. I am the shepherd. Anybody who wants to have vitality of life, spirituality that is rooted in what is good, right, true, and beautiful, anybody that wants to have eternal life, if anybody wants that, they will go through me, and I am willingly to be the door that they may be able to enter. But the picture here is not him manipulating the sheep to follow him. He's saying, oh, my sheep, they know my voice. So when I was a youth pastor, what I would do is um, when students would say, how do I hear and know God's voice through the word and so forth? And usually we'd be meeting with these teenagers at like a coffee shop or something like that. And and I would point to somebody across the room and say, hey, do you see them talking? Yes, I see them talking. Do you know what they're saying? No, I don't know what they're saying. Why? Well, because it's too noisy in here. Mike, yeah, it is pretty noisy in here. Well, what can you do to hear them? You could tell everybody to be quiet, which that's probably not going to go over too well. Or you can get closer to that person. We say, if you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to get near him. And the Bible has this, just pr- this promise from James if you draw near to him, he's even going to draw near to you. Like, he, he can't wait for that to happen. Like, he, like, through his word, through his people, through passionate prayer, that we're drawing near to him thing about it is, not only do we have things that are robbing us, we got a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices that are not always saying things that are pointing us to Jesus. In fact, most of the voices, most of the voices in our life are not pointing us to the shepherd. Most of the voices are just white noise that is just going around us, distracting us. And we're constantly finding ourselves as distracted sheep when the shepherd is saying, those who are mine, they know my voice. Like, they know who I am. Like, they follow me. No manipulation, they follow him because they know his love for them. Right? They know his tenderly affection that he has for them. Let's finish reading this, this text. Verse 14, he says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay, my life for the sh- I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and that they will listen to my voice. So there would be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have from my father. So here's what he's saying. He goes, my, my sheep, they know me. They know me. I don't, as parents, you probably, those of you who are parents, you, you probably have this experience. I know I have it. Is that when I'm at a, like, a, like one of my kids, like, baseball games or school or whatever, and I'm around other parents and kids, or even here at church, you hear a kid from the age 3 to th- like probably 11 say, Dad, it sounds like you're a kid somehow, right? You hear Dad, and you're like, Oh, oh, nope, my kids are an Asian. So, and it's like, you just turn around, and you're like, nope, not, that's not my kid. All right, like you though, all right? And there's this sense where you go, it's not just the voice Jesus is talking about, it's the relationship. So when my kids actually do say, dad, and I turn around and I see them, there's a relationship that happens that we now connect. Or you know what it's like all of us have had parents or some sort of uh, guardian in your life that the way in which they talk, you know like what they really want. They might be, hey guys, we're going to leave in a little bit. And you're like, all right, cool. That means we can probably play a little longer. As opposed to, hey, didn't I say, and you know, before they even say anything else, you're sprinting towards the car. Like, oh no, it's all bad. Right? There, there's, there's, there's that voice. Or even with friends or you know loved ones or whatnot, I know when I call my wife there's a dialogue that happens. When I call her during the day, during the work week I'll call her and I say hey and she'll go hey and I say hey what's up and she goes, she doesn't even say what's up, she goes hey. I talk more than she does and I'm trying to get her to talk, but I'm like so what are you doing? She goes I'm working. Uh, uh, and then the next thing is did you want anything? I'm like girl I wanted you. You know like but there's, and and, and and I could tell, like, even though when she answers, I could tell, okay, she's in a serious mode. Someone's around her, and it's that. I mean, this doesn't happen, like, oh, this has happened once or twice. This happens a lot. I'm like, I, what kind of work are you doing? Like, what you, what's going on? All right, well, I'll talk to you later, right? And so now, if I do, if I call her and she happens to be on a lunch break, it may be like this: Hey, what's up? How's your day going? I'm like, oh, oh, now you want to talk, right? There's a there's a certain there's a certain dialogue. Jesus is saying when it comes to his sheep, like they want to be with him. This is, this, this right here is not just this transactional relationship. This is all affection. Because what he says here is, is, is uh, if you look 15, or latter part of verse 14, he says, I know my own, my own know me. Here, this, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I the Father. Here's what he's saying. The relationship that Jesus wants to have with us is the relationship that he has with his Father. Guys, just so you know. There's not a better father-son relationship than God the Father and God the Son. Those of you guys who are privileged enough to have a great relationship with your dads, that is amazing. Amazing. It ain't got nothing on Jesus and his daddy. Right? Because if you think about the Father and the Son, that's what they've been doing for all eternity. Nobody's better. Like, there was never a moment where Jesus was like, you know what, I'm going to try to take his shine, right? There was never a moment when the, when the Father felt like he had to show the Son up. There was always this mutuality of love, of the Son loving the Father, and the Father loving the Son, and the Spirit accentuating that love. In fact, when you think about creation in itself, it's creation is an overflow of that love, of Father, Son, and Spirit into creation for us to be able to, like, be with God and receive that love sin becomes a block of that, redemption becomes God sending his son Jesus in order that we may get what was lost in the garden. That God may have what he desperately desires and that is us as his children. Sometimes I think we, we, we see the gospel as Jesus loving us but the father kind of putting up with us. Like Jesus loved us, the father was like eh, like, you were, like we were that, like, that snotty no kids down the street that's always coming over to the house eating all the snacks and stuff, right? It's like, man, why is he always over here? Man, don't he got food at his own house, right? No, it's the father in love with the son saying, go get your brothers and your sisters and bring them in. And the cost would be his life. It is not that God is pushing Jesus out the house. It is not that Jesus is saying, Father, can you please? It's the Father and the Son by the Spirit through the work of Jesus saying, as the good shepherd, he will lay down his life, become the door, so that all and repentance and faith that believes in him may have this abundant life. And the abundant life isn't the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. For anyone who confesses and believes in Jesus, absolutely. But it's more than that it is a right relationship with God for all eternity that starts the day you believe. That he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows the sheep. If anything's wrong with the sheep, the good shepherd takes care of the sheep. The the good shepherd doesn't just die in general for the world, the good shepherd dies for you. Like so often, Jesus died for the world, he did, but he died for you, like your name. That when Jesus went to the cross, When he shed his blood, when he laid his life down, it wasn't just in let's see what happens. It was very much in a particular way to say that your salvation would be secured. That there's nothing can pluck you out of his hand. That when the wolves of sin and Satan and death come, he pushes them away. That when thieves and robbers come in, that he gives you the discernment by the spirit to know and distinguish which voice is actually good, right, and true, which one is a lie. That the good shepherd says, I lay down my life that they may be included in. And he says, I got other sheep, too, that are not in this flock. And what he's talking about here is there's Israel, who God reveals himself to first. And he's talking about the Gentiles, those who were non-ethnically Jewish men and women. And he says, I have to go get them, too, so that we may actually be one. That, that those who I, the Father has given me, those in whom my life has been laid down for, that the gospel may be preached to them, they, they too may be a part of the fold as the good shepherd ultimately gives this life for us to have new life. Amen? Now here's what I want to close with this. Um, in terms of the love and love walked among us, here, here's what I want to say. Is, there's at least few of us in this room, types of people. Some of us are here, and I'm going to tell you, like I just tell you how it is. When it comes to Jesus... This is probably the, the most Jesus day for you. Showing up to a service, maybe singing some songs, hearing a message, maybe taking communion and going about your week. And if, we're just, if you're honest with yourself, you're kind of just playing Christianity. I'm not questioning where you are in the Lord because that's, that's, that's between you and God. But you're kind of playing Christianity. And wh- many of us who find ourselves there just kind of going through the motions. I said this to a group of people recently. The scariest thing about being a Christian is it can be learned right you can learn how to say certain things how to do certain things how to preach sermons right i'm not exempt but you can learn that's the scariest thing because you could actually on the surface look like you're doing it and ultimately not even all have that abundant life in jesus because you can only find that rooted in jesus it's like my kids when they want to put on jerseys they want to put on steph curry jerseys and they want to mimic steph curry like i'm steph curry it's like no man you're noah and just to be honest with you realistically you'll probably never be as good as steph curry i'm just being honest and so you, 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 have this, you have this sense of, like, I'm going to play this way, and then I'm going to take off this jersey, and then I'm going to put on another jersey. When it comes to Christianity, there's no jerseys to put on. There's only the blood of Christ, and when it's on you, it's on you forever. And so Jesus actually becomes center, and everything else flows out of that. And so that group's got to really, you've got to really wrestle with, like, where am I at in following Jesus? Because Jesus is not manipulating anybody to follow him. He's saying, come follow me. Those are the most beautiful words and invitation of God. It's for Jesus to say, follow me. Onto every area of your life. And there's another group of us that are here, just, just in all honesty, because of suffering, because of different circumstances, um, cultural things, that we find ourselves saying, I want to distant myself from God. That somehow, if I can distance myself from God, that, like, that placates the hurt, or that, that satisfies the hurt and pain that I have. And no, the good shepherd doesn't mean that you won't get hurt. Right? The good shepherd is this. Is that when sheep fall over, they can't turn themselves back right. That when they are fall, they can't do it. The good shepherd comes over and picks them up and puts them back right. The good shepherd cannot prevent the pain. And it's not that God himself is not powerful enough. It's that we still live in a world that is massively broken, and sin is still reigning as a power in our culture. Now, Jesus has, in, in, through the cross and the resurrection, defeated the powers, but the residue is still here until he comes back. That's not a reason to pull away from him. It's a reason to actually draw near to him. What happens with sheep is that the wiser sheep, when the shepherd comes in, the shepherd comes in, and they know his voice because the shepherd doesn't usually speak. Usually when the shepherd comes in, he usually plays like a flute or something, right? Because this is, this is how you play a flute, <laughs> right? And, and, and then the sheep, they go to him. The wiser sheep flock closer to him, and then those behind the sheep, they just become followers. And oftentimes what will happen is that sheep will begin to follow the wrong sheep, and they will stray away. You know what the good shepherd does? He comes and finds them because they were his. And God never loses any that are truly his. And so that might be a word for some of us to go, I got to repent and go, Lord, whatever it is that's going on in my life, I need to find myself in you. And lastly, there's, there's just those of you who are going, I'm not even sure what I even believe about God. Let me just implore you that there is nothing better. There is nothing better. There is nothing that satisfies the deepest recesses of your soul and your life than that of the person and work of Jesus Christ. You, you just can't take my word at it. You have to look at the scriptures and let God reveal himself to you. He becomes a good shepherd, and he promises you nobody else can. There's nobody, he's not just saying he's better, he's best, he's only, he's the only way to know the Father, to live in intimate love, to be fully known, fully loved at the same time in your sin and ultimately to never lose that love because of something you've done in your performance or your past because he ultimately seals it with the blood of his cross and gives you new life through the resurrection. So the Bible's very clear that if you have a desire to know him, it's because that desire of him to know you is already at work in your life. And if that's true, gosh, we would love to talk to you all of us as we conclude this series when it comes to love walking among us it is not just mimicking jesus in a way to say that we look like christians if all of us as a body as a church we need to fall in love afresh with the person of jesus and be uniquely desirable of who he is and the life that he has for us because we are finding ourselves to be disciples of so many other things in culture that we're actually missing out on the one who actually created culture in itself and the one who's redeeming culture, and that is namely Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's, let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful that you are good and that you are patient, and it's actually your patience and your kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance becomes this beautiful joy, Father, in which we get to receive you afresh. So Lord, as we prepare to eat this bread, your body given for us, and drink this wine, May your presence be real to us as the bread and as the wine. May we confess and receive the forgiveness of our own sins. Father, may we find ourselves not just learning Christianity, but ultimately seeing you afresh in ways that are loving and life-giving. God, I pray that we would make daily practices of falling on our knees and on our face and giving ourselves to you afresh. Listening to your spirit may we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. God, I pray that there would just be an excitement of joy in you, Jesus, through your people, particularly in this church and the churches here in this city. God, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. We had an opportunity to respond to God's word, and before, before the guys come and lead us in time of response, just take this moment by the Holy Spirit and ask, ask these two questions. One, what's robbing your life? Like, what are the things that you're going to that are just robbing your life from the joy that's in Jesus? And two, that ultimately that you would be able to see Jesus as the good shepherd? What is robbing you and that you would be able to see Jesus as the good shepherd?